Hi and welcome to the Work It's Personal podcast with me, Rowan Hammond. Today I was thrilled to be joined by Mike Baird, ex-Premier of New South Wales and now CEO of Hammond Care, who spoke passionately about connecting not just as a leader, but as a human with the ability to bring people together for a common purpose. I particularly enjoyed the memory he shared as a young man of watching his father walking down the drive to grab the paper at 4am so he could see how the public political agenda was shaping for the day. Truly a great personal insight into a person connected to their purpose. A great episode. Enjoy. Mike, thanks for joining us on Work It's Personal Podcast today. It's a pleasure, Rowan. Firstly, most notably, probably people know you for your role as New South Wales Premier, but now you're off to other things. Can you please maybe just start with what are you doing? What's your role in the organisation that you work with? So now I work for Hammond Care, which is a national company. Really two parts to it. It's a sort of aged care, but also health. And in terms of the focus of it, it's complex dementia. Um, you know, so those that are living with dementia, um, both in terms of residential, but also home care businesses that deal with that. And there's research and a dementia centre and there's kind of thought leadership you know, in the space. So that's a really key part of what we do. And the other is that we do have some subacute facilities, palliative care, rehab and other person's mental health and restorative care, you know, rehabilitation. But where we really kind of focus is on the palliative care. So the, the two points of focus across all of those services is, you know, how do we live our mission? The mission is improving the quality of life of people in need and in particular those with dementia, complex dementia and palliative care. So it's... About 5,000 people across the country, and it's really quite an incredible organisation to be part of. Mm, fantastic. And of course, I came across your organisation a couple of years ago when mum was in care at, uh, at Hammond Care with dementia. But where did it all sort of start from you? You've had a very full life. And so I think, you know, in particular, I'm probably interested, as probably many people are, where did it kind of start for you? How did life shape up, and, and how did your kind of journey start? A long story short, I mean, how long have we got? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and give it to a, you I'll try and give it a couple of minutes. Yeah, look, I, I grew up in a very supportive family. My dad was a high achiever, foreign affairs. We lived across the world. I spent a few years in Germany, maybe not as much of a highlight of my youth, but then a few years in New York, which was a real highlight. Wow. Indeed, I never wanted to come back from New York. Um, I had everything, you know, I was in the... The NFL, the, the gridiron team, American football team, yep. I was in the baseball team, and, you know, I had the, the track star girlfriend, you know, he says, at 12. <laughs> <laughs> I was devastated to come back because I absolutely loved it there. But, you know, that experience and then back to school here, you know, really gave me a full life and appreciation that the, the world's much bigger than just, you know, a little sort of suburb here, here in Sydney. And, you know, that I think encouraged me to dream big and to, to look for opportunities beyond. You know, through school, in a university, studied economics and ended up in finance and really enjoyed that. All types of roles, you know, worked in uh, National Australia Bank, Deutsche Bank, uh, HSBC later on. And, you know, all, all of those roles, I think, it, whatever you're going to do in life, I think, you know, finance and banking is a really good foundation. But when I was working there, I, I had this real stir within me that I really wanted to contribute. Mm. You know, like, what does that mean? You know, I wanted to make a difference to my community or state and country. I didn't know what that looked. There's a whole range of times and processes where I looked at, well, maybe I could become a minister. I considered that and I actually went to a theological college in Regent, which is very foundational. But it was there where actually, you know, through contemplation and consideration and engagement with a whole group of people, that actually maybe politics is where I could could contribute. My father had been in it. I'd run a million miles through it. I'd seen the downside. It was, 
something that uh, I never wanted to do. Um, but in that period, you know, it, was a, it was a year off, effectively, of trying to work out what I wanted to do in life. And I did think of minister, but politics became very much a, a focus. So I came back with state in finance and then over a, consider over a number of years, sort of got involved in the political process and then found myself as a, a candidate for the state seat of Manly, which still is the, the best electorate in the country for anyone that's uh, open to it or <laughs> worried about it. One of the great cricket teams there. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, I had the privilege then to be the local member, elected the member for Manly, you know, a range of shadow minister roles and then treasurer of the state and then ultimate premier of the state. And uh, all of those long, hard, difficult, but incredibly fulfilling. Mm. And I felt that you had did have an incredible opportunity to make a difference there. But I think there is a shelf life for politicians and political leaders to make an impact. Left there, back into finance for a few years and a number of sort of senior roles there. But... For my last executive role, I had this deep sense. I really, again, you know, wanted some purpose and direction. How could I contribute using kind of all the privileged opportunities I'd had? I mean, amazing sort of opportunities and um, experiences. Yes. And how can I use that in my, effectively, my last executive role to make a difference? And with my mum having been through a difficult process and in aged care and being introduced to that, uh, when I was approached you know, for this role, it seemed perfect because it brought deep personal experience and, and I thought could use some of the things I've done yeah. to make a difference for those we're caring for and, and those that are doing the caring. Mm. And you talk about having this urge to contribute and commit. Where did that come from for you? Is it innate or you think there were some major influences in the early parts of your life? Yeah, it's, re- it's really hard to say, Rowan. I, look, I, it's always been there like, and, and quite strongly. You know, probably, you know, my mum was a big god in that, I think. I mean, she did incredible things for people. And, you know, whether it be, I mean, she was a psychologist and counsellor and, you know, she would follow up people in ways that I thought were, you know, well above the job. You know, she cared deeply for the people that she was trying to help. Um, you know, through to, she went to prisons and visited prisoners and she, wow. she did that for years. You know, some of the state's toughest prisoners. I mean, she shared her faith with these prisoners and followed up that she just cared for them, loved them. Mm. She got involved with a, a, an unbelievable woman, Mother Maggie, in Egypt, and she uh, had a vision to look after um, these orphan kids in the Cairo tips. And uh, Mum went over there and, you know, she helped sort of fundraise here for her. You know, so she, she always had a heart, you know, for others. And I think probably that undoubtedly sort of throws off on you. You know, I think the a Christian faith is, is is important in that because there's a you know a sense of living that out and kind of wanting to look after them. I mean, the words of you know our mission are inspired by by Jesus' words, yeah. and that is that if someone's hungry, you feed them, and you know thirsty, give them something to drink. And I think that 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 is also impacted. So I think probably that guiding influence of my mum and you know dad similarly did did things for for other people, did amazing kind of work for, for refugees. Yeah, so I'd seen it probably role modelled. And, you know, and then a, a personal faith and then a, a deep desire to either emulate or, yeah. you know, to, to find ways to contribute. And, and how did Dad's work sort of rub off on you as well? Because you would have been observing and watching that play out. Yeah, no, look, and I think that, I mean, on a few levels, I mean, the, the downside, I mean, I, I, you know, I kind of went into politics knowing that it was a pretty uh, tough old 
business. He used to stand down the bottom of his driveway at uh, four in the morning in his dressing gown. You know, oh, so wow. this is this is pre iPads and iPhones, and yep. so the papers used to be delivered then. So he was waiting for the papers to see what sort of chaos was going to play out in his portfolio for the day. <laughs> That's the way they kind of did it then. Um, but that, that was a regular feature, and I thought, like. I'd hear him go down and I'd look down and go, you know, why would you want to do that and go back to sleep? <laughs> but then, you know, in action, I mean, he, he was a bit of the inspiration for the Sydney Olympic. Nick Griner thought we should do it. He approached Dad, could he lead it? Mm. And, you know, talk about taking on the world to bring something to Sydney. So that was an incredible contribution. But I also saw him stand up for the vulnerable. And he went to every single camp that we had, every refugee facility. And he came back, he was determined to make a difference. He said he'd never seen such human des- desperation. And, wow. you know, he was repaired across the floor and, you know, become a very strong advocate and, you know, undoubtedly had a, a massive impact. So, you know, I, I think all of that, you can see the difference you can make in politics. And, you know, that was probably part of the inspiration that led me in there as well, notwithstanding how hard it was and what I'd say. Yeah, I suppose you're pretty well conditioned, obviously knowing what they'd gone through and what you'd seen. And so are you starting at this point, I guess, in those sort of formidable years through your teens and 20s and watching this sort of unfold, are you sort of looking at leadership and going, yes, that's what I want to achieve and that's where I want to go? Or are you still sort of, where's life drawing you at this point? No, no, yeah, you know, no, no, no I'd, I'd say mid-20s. You know, no idea. And even now, I mean, I've probably got, I've got more of an idea now than I did when I was in the mid-20s. So. <laughs> <laughs> Having experience. But no, you know, for me, it was always, always an open door. I think that what I've been encouraged to do was to think big and, you know, to try and not put limitations on. So yes. I was never consumed that I must be the leader or I must be the, you know, the manager or the CEO. Ne- never consumed by that, but always open to, to possibilities to do mm. new things and more things. Mm. And I think that adaptability and there was you know, lots of different roles and countries that, that kind of facilitate that. So, yeah, sort of going through the 20s, it was more just trying to do anything and everything. You know, it was just a kind of an openness to it all. And, yeah. you know, that was, it was actually a fantastic decade, the yeah. 20s. And, and were there any sort of pivotal moments for you, any other influences in your life apart from family that really kind of you remember and could have gone one way but didn't, went the other way? Well, no, I think the, the, this theological college, Regent College, I mean, you know, when I was there, I was pretty determined I was going to become a minister. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through kind of lecturers and engagement with um, students and, and reading and talking to Karen, my wife, you know, who was there for that whole journey, uh, there was a complete U-turn there, you know, and, and it was, I thought that's, you know, this is how I contribute, but then there was a challenge. Well, actually, there are so many ways that you contribute. You know, do you want to just limit yourself to that path or... Mm-hmm. Are there other things? I mean, you, you can make a difference in banking. You know, that was part of the, the teaching there. But you, yeah. the political thing seemed to me using banking, using community and, you know, some of the role modelling that I'd seen in, you know, my mum and my dad. Mm. And that seemed to be, you know, where it all collided. Mm. And, and stepping towards leadership, what does leadership mean to you? What does leadership mean to me? You know, to me, leadership is a capacity to bring people together to something that they couldn't achieve themselves. I think you know there is a, a great capacity to think as a leader in a far greater way than you can individually. You know, so there's getting great people around you, but then forming a vision and a goal and an outcome and doing that together. To me, you know, that's the that's the key. I really think 
the best leaders are the ones that create a shared sense of vision and every single person kind of on that team has a role to play to that vision mm. and as a collective you're stronger than the one. And, and who inspires you in that space? As a leader, who do you look around and go, wow, I've taken some of those elements from that person, this person? It's interesting because I've, I've, you know, I've had the chance in the, in the role to meet some amazing leaders. My first leader was incredibly influential. He, he was someone that took me under his wing. He was firm but fair but constructive, encouraging, and funnily enough, he was one of the best leaders that I ever had, you know, personally always drawn to humility. Probably out of all of the leaders I met, the one that, the one that stands out and reflected on a, on a key point, which I'll, I'll get to, was, was Joe Biden, actually. Right. And he, uh, as the Vice President, was out here for a day, and I spent most of it with him. And you know, so normally there's kind of meets and greets and you know, a few tidbits here and there and you know, funny quips and take a photo and you move on, you know. Yep. Whereas this was meaningful and it was, we, we spoke about life and hurts and pains and, and he had a few and he, yeah. he shared those really openly. And what, what was so striking about it to me was, you know, here is, you know, one of the most powerful people in the world that actually, you know, in some remote country with a little province called New South Wales, he took time, you know, to get to know me and, and he was totally and utterly present. So. That sense of humility, like just because he has that role, it was very clear he didn't feel, you know, he was any more important than I was. Mm. And further than that, he actually took the time to be very present with me. Mm. And that's always stuck with me. I, I, when I was at uh, Regent College, I, this concept of, of presence, you can relate to people in kind of a very transactional way, a very holistic and, and all in sort of way. Yes. I think that sort of leadership is is the most powerful. I mean, yes, you know, there are tough decisions that need to be made and that's, that comes with leadership, but to bring people in, they're not there as the leader, they're there as the person, and you are not there as, you know, an employee or a part of their picture, you are there as the person. Mm. Um, and that deep sense of presence is something that I've tried, you know, so whoever's there in front of you at this point in time, they're the most important person in the world. Mm. You know, what are their dreams and aspirations? How can I help that? You know, how collectively do we create, you know, a vision that wherever we are working that we can achieve? But, you know, that's, that's probably what stood out for me. Mm. And of course, you're referring to when uh, Joe Biden was vice president. Well, yeah, sort of yeah. yep. And I, I suppose if we step a little bit more to the purpose around Hammond Care and, and you leading the organisation here, I was really keen to see that you'd signed a, a partnership arrangement with the Sydney University, especially around dementia and understanding yeah. and, the, and the research. What does that mean to you and, and what's the future for where Hammond Care is heading and, and where would you like to take it? Well, and I think that's the other thing about leadership, like you've got, you know, the more people that you can bring on the journey, you know, the more minds and you know, the more expertise and talent that you can get to the, the broader mission or purpose, then the more chance you have of succeeding. And, you know, Sydney University is an incredible university, a range of capability, significant research, and, you know, looking for that opportunity to do something formal with them, you know, longer term research, but also sort of recruitment and, you know, they've got thousands of nurses and thousands of students and to be able to, to engage with them on the opportunity to think of a career in aged care and you know we've heard lots of challenging things about sort of aged care and terrible stories of neglect but you know when it's done well it's 
it's a pretty amazing place and you, you change and impact people's lives in a way that you just can't imagine. And, you know, so a place like Sydney University to do that in a structured and purposeful way. We've also said some of their youngest minds that sort of want to come and participate in some of our biggest challenges. So they, they offer universities into a program to do that with a range of corporates. And I think we're the only aged care provider in that. And again, there's a dozen of the brightest graduates at Sydney Uni coming to think about some of the challenges we have and some ideas and shape around that. Yeah, that'll be an infusion of energy and creativity and intellectual capacity at the moment. I mean, of course we have all of those, but you know, we're stronger getting that sort of partnership together. So yeah, that's a pretty exciting partnership. And you know, obviously we've just signed it, so we'll, we'll see how it, how it delivers. But in terms of theory, we're, yeah, we're really excited by it. Great, and of course, Hammond Care not only has its facilities around the place to, to house people in, in different needs, but you also have a, a, a workplace itself to, to house sort of your, your head office staff and administrative and support staff. How are these facilities sort of shaping up for you in the future, and, and where do you see the future of those facilities playing for Hammond Care? It's certainly a, it's a widespread workforce, so we're not, we're not centralised. We're across our facilities, where we've got home care offices, we've got um, dementia consulting offices all across the country. So we've, we've got about 75 different sort of offices. The head office is obviously the key one where there's a, um, a few hundred people in. Obviously COVID has changed that dynamic. You know, mm. we used to pretty much came into head office every day and you know, went about your business. Now a lot of you know, that is kind of work from home. So you know, we're wrestling the future of that. Undoubtedly we want to keep the flexibility, people enjoy it, love it, there is a, an additional significant personal benefit that it comes and you know when I talk to our leaders I say it's, it's pretty clear the more the more you're doing things you're passionate about and spending time with people you're passionate about you know you're going to be a much better leader and an employee so there's more chance to do that in a work from home environment so I, I wouldn't want to lose that but I also you know want to ensure that we remain you know connected and you know, the, the relationships and the culture that comes, I think can be lost, certainly diluted you know, through a complete work from home environment. So yeah, we're, we're working on how do we bring, how do, how do we do both? Mm. You know, how do we all kind of come together, but at the same time keep that flexibility in terms of a, a broader balance of, of people not having to commute for long parts of each day, which is obviously attractive to anyone. So. I think facilities like head offices will be reduced in the future, but I think there'll always be a role for them. You know, you, you, you're always going to have to keep that space and places where you come together as an organisation, you know, and it's not just on a screen, you know, it's face to face. And, you know, that's, that's where relationships are built and you can go beyond just that top level. And of course, um, there was a Royal Commission into aged care a couple of years ago. How has that influence your thinking and where the future of I suppose those workplaces which you know predominantly are sort of you know care staff how is that sort of influencing the future for, for you? Yeah so the case so we've you know for a long time I mean the Royal Commission spoke about in residential aged care having cottage design now, now we've kind of had cottage design you know for our bespoke facilities you know for going on 25 years, so that has been our model. So what you're gonna see is a continuation on that. And I'd imagine you'll see a conversion of some of the, the larger kind of all-in residential facilities, a conversion to, to more cottage-like facilities, because that's clearly where the recommendation was and the research shows that the, the outcomes 
you know, both in terms of quality of life, but also quality of care, you know, less hospitalisations. I mean, there's a, there's a range that shows that, and in terms of infection control, better infection control in the cottages. So, so that's where people will go. But we will see an expansion in terms of home care as well. I mean, the growth is, mm. is exponential. So our home care staff are growing you know, at the fastest rate of any part of, of Hammond Care and will continue to do so for the next few years. So there'll be an increase in offices, you know, across the country, you know, as, as that comes together. And it's the same thing. I mean, often they're individual, but we've got to have a place where, you know, all of those care workers and sort of broader home care team can come together to kind of build those relationships. So, yeah, you'll see probably a change in shape you know, on the residential space, but an increasing number of kind of offices in home care. Mike, it's been so fascinating talking to you today. It really has been interesting. You've probably lived 10 lives. In terms of, last question for me, what is the best piece of advice you've got? <laughs> if you win the toss, bat. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good advice. I, heard, I think I heard the same. <laughs> You know, I've spoken a little bit about the, the, the presence in, in talking to, to leaders and employees. I think, I think that's the number one thing. I've worked under leaders. Um, I've seen leaders where they are already on to their next thing or they're mulling their current problem or situation whilst they're standing right before you. Mm. You know, having the capacity to park that and to be present you know, I think creates leaders that are authentic, um, engaged, and, you know, you will have an engaged leadership team, you know, if you, the more present you are with them. And, you know, I also think that when you get into leadership position, holding it as, you know, very lightly, doesn't define you. You know, I mean, I've got an incredible privilege as a CEO of this organisation. It does not make me any more important than any role in the organisation. I mean, I'm in awe of our care workers that are out in the cottages, what they do every day. I love our maintenance team and their passion for their job and the passion for the maintenance they're doing for the residents they're caring for. We just have different roles. And I think that, you know, leaders, you know, have to make sure that just because, you know, they get the chance to meet significant people and they go to all types, you know, significant people, as in well-known leaders or whatever might come, that makes you no different, you know, to, to the person that's um, alongside you in any part of the organisation. And I think that's, that's really an important point. And the last point, which is one point in the three, <laughs> you've just got to do what you're passionate about. Yeah, I, I think your capacity to influence and impact and deliver outcomes. If you're not passionate about it, you know, if you are crawling out of bed as opposed to leaping out of bed, well, I think you're always going to struggle. So find something uh, that you rip the doona back and you leap out. Great advice. Mike, it's been great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining Work It's Personal. Thanks, Mike.